0: word of God says likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered let's pray Lord as we come to your word this morning we place ourselves underneath its authority not claiming that we would ever hope to know better than you so I pray that you would give us changeable minds changeable hearts ears to hear and hearts to receive That your spirit would be here with us, empowering Adam as he preaches. And giving us humility that we might come to your word ready and eager to hear and to eat. To feast on that which you have given to us, namely Christ, that we would rest in him this day. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So as you notice, we'll be staying this Mother's Day uh, with First Peter. Um, but it kind of works out quite nicely that on this Mother's Day, uh, whether you do have children or not, this Mother's Day, we would address the men of the congregation that they would improve upon their husbandry. So it works in that fashion for mothers and for wives, alike, that the men today would once again key in to the word of the Lord and seek obedience. As a husband, and perhaps even on this Mother's Day, as a uh, husband uh, with a woman with children, and you'd honor your wife rightly as the mother of your children. As we mentioned last week, um, Peter provides no extended explanation, and that that seems to be, when you uh, begin in chapter 3, And we work from verse 1 all the way through the text. We see it yet again and again and again, that Peter provides no true extended application or explanation of how exactly the husband and the wife relate in their particulars, or very often to the weeds, as we say, very specifically. Rather, he addresses the fundamental principles of your husbandry and your wife relation. Again, as we look last week, it was consistent at the beginning of verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And and, and we covered this uh, last week showing honor to the woman, or as the text says, the female one, as the weaker vessel. And again, Peter provides no extended explanation of how exactly the feminine one is the weaker vessel. I gave you three options at the end, and I think it's a mixture of all three. But I tend to think, if we step back and we just read the text quite plainly, I tend to think that Peter is not addressing so much as to how the feminine one is weaker, but the fact of it. I think you need to ponder that. As you're reading the text, instead of getting into debates of how and in what way and which ones, all or some, and, and get off into a place where we just miss the obvious because we're entrenched in these gender debates. Again, it, Peter is not addressing so much how so that we would labor there and we would, we would fight there, we would debate there. Rather, again, he's addressing the simple fact of it. Uh, how can we be so sure well, again, remember the assumptions of natural order are everywhere present in Peter. And these assumptions of natural order are shared among the audience to whom he writes. We are a very, it's hard to say where we're at. Are we a modern society? Are we a postmodern society? Are we a post postmodern society? Either way, where we classify how we think as 21st century individuals, particularly in the West, these texts tend to be shocking to us. They they tend to rattle us a bit in our Western sensibilities. Um, They shouldn't. Particularly in the Christian community who it speaks directly to. We come to Lord's Day because we want to hear it. We we, we gather because we want to be men of obedience. We're very creaturely, so we don't execute the text well. We rely on the grace of God and hearing and in the performing of said text. But we do wish to know and be obedient to the word of the Lord. And as wives, you want the same. By charitable judgment that I extend to all the ladies that gather, we're here. We want to know. We want to grow through the word of the Lord. So again, we just need to handle these texts not just in our westernized debates, but handle them as Christians confessionally, as those who desire to know what does the Lord desire for me, that I might honor him, versus taking these texts, plugging them into our cultural moment, and wrangling within the church over them. They're not that shocking to Peter, and they're not that shocking to his audience. They were much more grounded in natural law and natural order. So he doesn't explain, this is how, and this is the nuance, and this is the meaning, and this is the caveat. He's addressing the obvious. And and his audience did as well. So then I think the command to the husbands is something more like this. If I could kind of paraphrase uh, what we looked at last week and the command to you, men, husbands, uh, to your wives, here is what I would paraphrase as Peter's comment to you in a summary of our time last week, and it's simply this. Quote, men, since you possess the power to lead, and again, the possession is an endowment from the Lord in your maleness, Since you possess the power to lead, or or if we press the language further to say rule. Since you possess the power to lead, you must honor that positioning in your marriage. So it's an acknowledgement, not an abdication of it, not a caveat and pivot away from its awkwardness. Men, it's an owning it. A- and, and, then, and, and it's not owning it in any which way your personality would own it or the way that you would go about displaying it. It is that you own it and that you honor it as the position in your marriage. What would honoring look like? Peter would continue to say, and resist In order to honor said position of power and rule in the hierarchy of relation between you and your wife, resist it, men. Resist any temptation. And there will be temptation. Again, it belongs to our maleness that we be tempted along these lines. Resist the temptation to exploit it or to manipulate through it. Seek to lead your wife in a godly manner. If we put the text together and we go from verse 1 of chapter 3 and we work down through uh, verse 7, the first portions that we've handled so far, if we put these texts together between what we spoke to wives and what we spoke to husbands thus far, we'd simply say when a wife submits to her husband and her husband exercises understanding, and he shows honor to his wife rightly, then together they will enjoy the fruits of their partnership. And I want to just kind of make this mentioning to you as well as couples. And, and, and as a minister, uh, in times of, of counseling uh, and, and premarital counseling, Something that you need to lay to conscience from this text. Couples, please. That your aim uh, is not necessarily fulfillment in marriage. Your aim is not peace in your marriage. Your aim, and again, I'm laying this before you to consider. Because I do want you to understand the ordering is important. Joy is not your aim in marriage. From where I'm perched. Those, fulfillment, joy, happiness, are byproducts of a godly marriage. If you aim at production of the byproduct without the fundamental principles that God has prescribed for your marriage, the goalposts will constantly be moving in your marriage. And you will find yourself emotionally like this. And you will be taking all of the podcasts you can find on why your husband is wrong. And why your wife needs all your help to point out her illnesses. You'd be like, well, I need, I need rhetorical reinforcement. Because I know I'm right. And I'm aiming at what? Happiness, being understood, peace, joy. Folks, believers. Those are byproducts. They're produced for your enjoyment. By godly obedience. What is prescribed for you, Men. Love your wives. That's prescribed for you. Live with her in an understanding way. That's prescribed for you. That is on you, men, to do. Uh, uh, Show, Do honor to your wife. That is prescribed for you to do. And, And as you follow in obedience to what's prescribed for your life with your wife, the joy will be produced. Peace will come to the home, the byproduct will be there for your enjoyment. Again, getting the order is important. Culture will tell you, do it in reverse. Well, I don't know they would say, then pursue the word of God. Simply put, they would push you toward all the byproducts, and the byproducts will be a mirage. They will constantly keep disappearing on you. In summary uh, to the section so far, I would simply conclude the thoughts that we've put together with Luther's comments this way. He says, quote, there is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. And if you're married and gathered this Lord's Day, I hope you really lay that the, 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 the intimacy and oneness of a marriage cannot be duplicated elsewhere. Uh, ladies who work, um, there, there's that uh, language of, of, of the, the mockery of marriage in the workplace where you have a work husband. You, you can't have a work husband. Just knock that, that language out. You have a real husband if, said, if married. And the intimacy of that real husband cannot be mirrored or produced in the office Place. and and men you don't have an office wife you you have a wife and that intimacy can't be uh, duplicated in the office space there, there is no truly if you love your wife and you love your husband you'll understand that the the, the, the intimacy and the communion it can't be duplicated elsewhere it is the only thing that God has given to us by his mercy that we would experience in this age some measure of the love he's poured on the church. It's not to be found in the cubicle space, even in sloppy language. Preserve the language, keep the language. That's my husband, I have no other. And that's my wife, I have no other. This is important that we preserve this as a Christian institution of what marriage truly means. Now, Peter adds to our text of what we've looked at to this point, he adds a rationale. So let me just like look at the text together with me verse 7 likewise husbands live these are the directives right live with your wife in an understanding way show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel he tells you prescribed what to do and then he's giving us this morning a rationale and then a motivation so the text breaks down very easily notice the rationale it begins with since since so so if i why should i what should i be considering the adam Live with Adri in an understanding way and show honor to her as the weaker vessel. I'm going to debate about what that means. No, just the fact of it. Do this, Adam. Okay, but how do I conceive it? Since, this is how. This is your rationale, Adam. Since you're doing these things toward your wife. Since she is an heir with you, Adam, of the grace of life. You see, men, the entirety of your marital relationship. And this is why it will take work, because you need to lay it to conscience and mind. Just like before, earlier up in the text, when you're thinking, how do I understand my wife? Does that take work? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You understand yourself. You understand your wife. You understand your personalities, your time, what you like, what you don't like together as a couple. Doing this kind of understanding work takes, yes, work. And then what is to cover all of this work and be upon my heart and my mind as I endeavor to know my wife and show honor to her that in the entirety of my thought, the entirety of my marital relationship must be informed and shaped by the equality of grace between us. The way I view Adri, the way you view your wives, must be in the context of grace. I need to conceive of our marital interactions. As I proceed in a place of disagreement, or something I particularly might dislike, I must conceive of my wife in Christ. I must conceive of our relation as we interact together, of who she is in Christ, and what God has shown to me, I must also show to her in our interactions. I I do want to point out again, if it's the grace of life, remember, as you're thinking through salvation and grace, remember when you speak of grace. It's interesting here, in order to show grace, there's a context of demerit that has occurred. You see, Christ shows you grace. In what context? in a place of demerit. The gospel comes to you in demerit, and Christ provides for you His merit. That is the reception of grace. He didn't take you from demerit, sin, bring you to neutrality, and just deal with you. He took you from demerit to merit. So for you to then conceive of your wife and your interactions, men, it includes the context of some form of friction some place of negative interaction and the call for you men in those moments if you were to think that's demeritorious between us great it's an opportunity to show what has been shown to you merit not an exacting or an account keeping but meritorious grace toward your wife it's not scorekeeping. It's the opposite. It's been shown you, and it's been shown her equally. And this must color your interactions between you. You both belong to God through grace. Again, I I would say it's parallel in the same way. And we don't speak of this very much, but when we talk about a wife submitting, or we talk about church members submitting to their session or their elders... Remember, if we're at all being honest with difficult texts, we must acknowledge submission can only essentially occur in a place of disagreement. We can say we submit until we don't, but, but we must submit in the place where we are at odds. There is a way in which we proceed. And same here, there is a context for demerit. There is a difficulty. And men and women, men, in your interactions with your wife, you're to conceive of her as found in grace in the same manner with which you have received. You are co errors So, again, while there are important distinctions between the sexes, and I think we've covered them fair enough. But while there are important distinctions between the sexes when considering our partnership, and our roles within our marriage. Um, We need to continue to think on that. When considering redemption, that is salvation, there are no longer any relevant distinctions between us. And your leadership, men, needs to reflect that understanding. If you look with me, just flip back over a couple of books. I won't stay long, but if you could please go with me. We've covered this for a long time, but uh, jump back to Galatians. I, I just want you to see the same language in Paul. Maybe it'll help. We'll, we'll see. Again, we've jumped from Paul and Peter a handful of times between the gender roles and relationships and so forth. If you'll jump back just a couple of books, you'll see Galatians. And if you land there in chapter 3, I just want you to see this husbands and, and see this wives, fellow Christians all together receiving the word of the Lord. As we conceive of one another in redemption or in salvation, how do we think of our wives in our interaction? How do we conceive of them? Do we think of them as co-heirs of grace? Or do we have put on heirs as though we have experienced grace and then we'll distill it when we feel the need? Or do we understand them to be no co-heirs with us? Um, uh, Galatians 3, uh, beginning in verse 26, for in Christ, and that's the critical piece there in the text, it's speaking of salvation, right, through grace. So, for in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God. Now, you're pairing this with what we've read in 1 Peter. This is is the thrust of this text, how we conceive one another. Now, how do we get uh, in Christ and become sons of God? Through the vessel of faith. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's the implication? Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. In what context? In Christ. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs of what? Promise. So again, men, if I could be clear to you and to fellow Christians, ladies, as you hear the word of the Lord, men, this is the rationale for your leadership that what truly matters most in my life is my union to jesus christ and the grace that i've received through him then this grace must be reflected in my relationship with my wife at every pass it must come to the fore and inform my decisions inform my attitude and inform my leadership realizing men that there is no divine favoritism shown to your maleness. That is critical to living with our wives in an understanding and honorable way. Your wife, Peter says, is a co-heir of the grace of life. Now I mentioned that he gives a rationale understanding honor since this is true that's the rationale for your mindset men and then notice the final conclusion to this text is a motivation the motivation is he moves from rationale to motivation notice the final piece of verse 7 and you see it in the language so that so you have the rationale since they are heirs with you men and then he adds this motivation as you meditate on leading in an understanding and honorable way, so that keep in mind, men, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the motivation added to a man who desires to live a godly life. Now. I want to admit to you, and we'll just spend a couple of moments on this, but I do want to admit to you freely uh, that this is a difficult statement in, in the text. It, it's, it's difficult. I hope to be helpful as we move forward. What, what, let me just start by saying, what does this not mean? Uh, and then maybe I can clarify for us eagerly and helpfully what it does mean. What, what does it not mean? So, so first, when he says, so that men, remind, remember this in your husbandry, uh, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, let me just say, it doesn't mean that God only hears the best men in the room. That, that, that's important to lay to your mind. It, it does not mean that God hears the prayers solely of the best husbands. Men without error that's inconceivable we know that can't be the meaning of the text because every man in this room who is husband has erred so so we know it's not god doesn't listen to bad people that that can't be the case so so we need to work on the case what what then does the text mean again let me ask it this way we'll work on just for a few minutes and conclude let me ask it this way and i want you to ask it i want you to ask yourself this question Everyone here, male and female alike, husbands and wives alike, ask this question to yourself before I answer it. Have an answer ready. The question is this. What is the basis or the grounds for my prayers being received? So so ask yourself that question. And if I were to ask you, do you have a ready answer to this question? What is the basis or the grounds? So so what is the, the basis for my prayers being received? What is that basis? The, the, the answer that it cannot be is your husbandry skills. It can't be that. If we pivot back to Peter and we're like, well, it has to be. It, he's clearly teaching that, that as good as I am to, to my wife, as good as I am to Adria's is how well received in heaven I am. Then we have, we have some categories we're confusing and making some massive blunders. So if I were to ask you, though, I wish I could just quickly, like, uh, we could see some answers on there with no names. But, but if I were to ask you right now as a Christian, what is the basis for your prayers being received? When you tomorrow, or this evening, tomorrow morning, you, you do some Bible reading, and then you enter into a time of prayer for just maybe your wife, your kids, and uh, maybe just whatever it be. When you do that, what do you think the basis for your having being heard is? So, with your answers in mind, let me give you mine, and then we'll move forward. The the answer is this. I'll ask question and answer. What is the basis, Adam, for for the grounds of your prayers being received? Adam, my union to Jesus Christ through faith. My union to Jesus Christ through faith. That is the basis whereby my prayers are heard. That, that has to be it. Galatians, I give you one more comment from Paul. We preached through Galatians a, a, a year or two ago now. Um, we can go over those texts some other time. Galatians 4, you'll recall, verse 6 and 7. It was a, a wonderful place to be in the text. And, and I wish to remind you, Paul says, And because you are sons. Now, again, your cause and effect relation. How do I know I'm going to be heard? Because. Your sons. God has sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Full stop. Not like unless you forgot the Mother's Day card. It's not. That, no. Uh. Uh-uh, uh. No. It's not. That. That. Full stop. Let me move forward. One author summarizes it this way. I wish you to hear it. It's a little paragraph. I know when when, when we read, sometimes we can miss some of it. I only put it here because I really want it to be helpful. One author comments this way, and it's exactly what we're describing here in 1 Peter. Quote, God puts the believer into Christ so that everything that belongs to Christ, his perfect humanity, All that belongs to it belongs to us. Think about that, husbands. We need it. And wives, when we hear the weight of the submissive texts, we need it. We have his righteousness. He is the life that is presented to God so that we then are accepted. He is our righteousness before God. Justification by faith means that God looks on us, Adam, and regards us, Adam, with the same acceptance with which he regards Jesus. That's the good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. That's what we proclaim in his name. It is the only hope we have through the empty vessel of faith. If it is me and my husbandry performance, ask my wife, and you know I'm unregenerate within, I don't know, five seconds. It can't be the grounds whereby I come to receive grace as I plead my husbandry case. It can't be. So so then he concludes, now we have a man in heaven for us who always lives to make intercession for us. Peter's going to say the same thing in just a few moments. Uh, well, well, no, it might be a few years, but you'll see it. We'll get there. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He describes it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So... I, There is, however, as I mentioned a moment ago, as we move towards our time of conclusion, there is a motivation here that we wish not to brush under the rug, that we wish not to get away from by moving in other directions we wish to receive. There is a motivation here, men. And so I proceed for the next couple of moments to work towards conclusion to offer this to you as a very severe warning. And I hope, if you're sincere, you're here on Lord's Day, I assume you to be, that you'll receive it as such. A severity of warning. The question, then, that we have to ask more particularly is this one. So, as a husband, what can I do to my wife that may hinder my prayer? Right, so we're looking at prayer through justification. And yet we're particularly looking in our class of relation to our wives. We're asking a little bit different question. What can I do as a husband to this co-heir of grace that will affect my prayers? Let me give you an answer. The answer that I would summarize for you that I could put together as best as I can think on it and read other biblical texts and put together a summary, it would be this that I would offer you men, and I offer it to you in all sincerity of a warning to you. It is a pastoral warning. The answer is this, persistent acts of unbelief which prove you to understand nothing of love and honor. Let me read the answer again. I ask the question as you do sincerely. As a husband, what can I do to my wife that may hinder my prayers? The answer, persistent acts of unbelief which prove you to understand nothing of love and honor. That, that, that's a, that, that would be a definition, right, that would be broad. It'd be like the, it would be, um, if, if we were to kind of draw a vortex here, we would be up here. Right, The the largest portion, acts of unbelief, persistently so, that prove me to be a person who understands in relation to my wife absolutely nothing of honor and understanding. But of course, there's a lot there. So what we want to do is we want to take our next tier down and get more particular, more specific. Let me do that with you. More specifically, what would these acts of unbelief be? I can provide them as we go toward conclusion what would these acts Adam of unbelief be the answer is this these acts would not be limited to but would include such things as spousal abuse verbal physical sexual it would include unrepentant infidelity in your marriage and here men we need to be careful on unrepentant infidelity i don't have time as you know but we need to carve out time to describe pornography in this category there's a real tension in marital covenants over how we in the ministry handle and counsel in your marriages and for the sake of our own with fellow ministers this issue of internet pornography And is that grounds because persistently so the man goes to a director's cut to find his energies apart from his spouse. Persistent acts of infidelity. And other forms of malicious neglect which violate biblical standards and ethics in marriage. I would summarize it this way to say, again, and I offer this to you hopefully with wisdom and prudence, but I, as you see in the text, it's not spelled out specifically, but if I could provide this to you from prudence and, and with wisdom, I would think that if a husband finds himself in willful pursuit of denying the glorious grace and dignity that God has bestowed upon his wife, then his prayers are not prayers I offer that to you as your brother. I offer it to you as your minister. I add one more thing that we care about this Mother's Day, right? Mothers in the sense of offspring. Your children will see. You offer meaningless, trite statements before God. And mistreat their mom. They're not dumb. They're very keen observers. These people, these little people that you live with, they're keen. They, they, they will stumble away from the faith because you mistreat their mom. Like these things, it might not be a direct cause and effect. Like we won't be able to explain. It's because you said this. It's because you, if you persistently mistreat their mom and you try to evangelize their little lives onto the gospel, your hypocrisy will rank and they will not be able to transition beyond it Herman Bovink summarizes this way and this is actually my conclusion I read it for you to summarize from verse one all the way through the text Herman Bovink has a wonderful little book it's it would be hard for you to just take it and immediately transfer it into your marriage but nonetheless I commend its reading to you um, Herman Bovink has an excellent small little book um, on the Christian family It's a phenomenal little read, Um, it's technical, but you'd be blessed by it. Again, I don't say you would transfer everything Bovink has to say right into your marriage. Uh, It probably might not go well, but I would encourage you, it's a rich read. I take that, this statement from him in summary of our husbandry and wivery conversations. It's this, Herman Bovink summarizes it this way, quote, one who travels the forbidden path and pursues forbidden fruit, can no longer pray. He can no longer pray at mealtime, and he can no longer pray in solitude. He might stumble and mumble a few sentences for a time, but he is no longer praying. His praying is soulless and dead. It dies on his lips and finds no way up. Conversely, men, conversely, if you abandon this path and you begin again to live according to God's commandment, if the husband once again loves his wife and the wife is once again obedient to her husband, then unity and peace and love will return. Then the marriage will be established, the wife restored in due honor, and the family will be renewed. Let us seek obedience. And the byproducts will be there for your enjoyment. Let's pray. Father, we ask, again, even speaking of these relations, that are so close, and they're so close and so beautiful, therein lies the temptation. To, to shatter it, to break it, to be unfaithful to it, to be unkind in it. That distinction between who we project ourselves in public to be and who we are with our wives. Forgive us. Provide the grace of repentance. I pray for the men here. that They're honest, Sincere. That where they're in error, they're repentant and they ask for forgiveness. And they seek a life of new obedience. Help us. We we can't just decide it. You must provide it. Please. According to the grace of your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word. Birth, faith, and some. Renew and enlarge and enrich the faith of others. Give us the grace to be men and women of Christianity whereby our marriages are that beautiful and lovely communion that can only be described as Christ in the church. Help us to experience that to a meaningful degree in this age that is passing away. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.